Yo, 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 episode 11, I brought my man Faraz Khan on the podcast. Now, you've probably never heard of Faraz Khan, but you're about to because my man is an anti-aging genius. Anti-aging, what's that? You can anti-age, you can reverse your age? Yeah, I didn't know this shit either. This is actually a guy who I met at, a, at an event in California, and then we started partying together, and I didn't realize, but this guy is kind of at the top of the social scene in Hollywood and Beverly Hills. In fact, when he invited me over to his place for the pregame, when we were just partying together and we just met each other, at an event this man had a dope ass condo in beverly hills and it was like nice as fuck and then he's like oh man you got to come back next week i'm not in california i live in arizona but i didn't go back next week but he's like dude next week next week we're moving to the house a house in the hollywood hills and not only is you would think a guy who's like i live in beverly hills i have a house in the hollywood hills you would think he's kind of douchey or whatever but no dude this guy is super down to earth, one of the most chill people I've ever met and one of the most humble people I've ever met. And one of his biggest passions is anti-aging. And so I have a biology degree. I have a biology background and I thought it made for really interesting conversation. And ironically, I didn't, I, going into it, full disclosure, I did not know how the conversation about anti-aging and hair loss was going to go. But being that I have a biology background and my mind kind of goes everywhere, I'm a little bit ADHD and I try to joke around a lot. And me and Faraz really relate on a human to human level because we've both party together. We both picked up chicks together. Um, it made for some really intriguing conversations. So, uh, if you're interested in learning about anti-aging or hair loss, definitely you're going to love this episode. I would take notes actually. So that said, what's a good Easter egg for this, Chris? Let's throw out another word. Tucker, that is the name of my dog. If you guys, whoever, whoever's listening to this right now, if you leave me a review on Apple or Spotify, specifically Apple, because that helps get us more exposure to the podcast. So if you like the podcast, definitely leave a review. But if you incorporate the word Tucker into the podcast, into your review, then I'm going to choose one person who has the most creative review with the word Tucker in there, and I'm going to Venmo you 50 bucks. Oh my God. God. So there's your Easter egg for the day. Sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself some R and R. All right, we are live. Welcome to the podcast, my man Faraz Khan. This is a badass dude who I met a few years ago at a marketing conference, and we'll definitely talk about that here on the podcast, but um, I wanted to get him on the podcast because we've been talking a lot about modern science, pop culture, things like this. And one of the guys I follow, obviously, is Faraz on Instagram. And he is big on the whole anti-aging movement. And he's so big on it that he has his own podcast about it. And he even coaches guys on it. But also, I've partied with this man in Beverly Hills in Hollywood. And this guy, low-key, I feel like, is really, really connected in that scene. Well, thank you, Patrick. Thank you for the introduction. I'm glad to be here. And man, I'm ready to rip and talk as, as long as we want for all these topics that we've been discussing over text. Oh, yeah, yeah. Faraz has uh, been trying to figure out like, hey, what do you want to talk about? What's the niche? What's the podcast about? And it's, and, and honestly, I get that question from anybody I ask to come on the podcast. And I think the thing that sets this podcast apart from any of the other podcasts that I've listened to, or especially the podcasts that you and I listen to on a regular basis, is that this podcast, we can talk about literally whatever we want. I mean, I, I was texting my buddy who's already been on a couple episodes. I feel like I've already talked about UFOs and aliens in literally every single episode. So nothing's off limits here. That's amazing. You know, when I, you sent me that link, I started researching. I was like, 
my goodness, this sounds very much like a Joe Rogan-esque type of podcast. So yeah. congratulations to you doing a great job, man. Thank you, man. And uh, no, Joe Rogan was definitely a huge influence uh, for sure. He was one of the first podcasts that not only got me into the UFO conspiracy, but also something that uh, really opened my eyes to the fact that podcasts can be entertaining, right? Before I would, after years of listening to the same type of podcast, hey, we got another coach on today and we're going to talk about personal development. Woohoo. You know, it's just like every other fucking podcast and I just got bored with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, well done on this new format and I'm excited to, to talk. Yeah, man. So before the podcast, I told you I wanted to save this for, for the podcast because we, you had asked me um, about the name that you had saved uh, for me in your phone versus the name I kind of go by um, with everybody in, in Arizona lately. Um, and it's a funny story because you had me saved as PJ, which tells me, hey, I met this guy a few years ago because um, when I first moved to Arizona in like 2015-ish, uh, uh, I was going to dental school. My whole life, I grew up in Kansas, born and raised. Everybody there knew me as PJ. And I even don't like the way PJ feels coming out of my mouth. It just feels weird. And, um, and so when I would go be at the clubs and bars here, which I know that you know a lot about going to clubs and bars, uh, I would meet girls approaching them, and they'd ask me what my name was. And I would tell them PJ, but with a lot of music, they would almost always think, BJ? What? Blowjob? And so... <laughs> Real quickly, I pivoted to just saying Patrick so I could overcome that awkward moment. And um, it just kind of stuck. And so one of the main reasons why I've kept Patrick the last couple of years is because I started dating my girlfriend who I met in Old Town Scottsdale at a nightclub. And I told her Patrick when I met her. And ever since then, she's known me as Patrick. And even in our relationship, when my friends from Kansas call me PJ or even my mom calls me PSA because she has an Asian accent, uh, she... Kate just can't get used to it. So Patrick, it is. There we go. I like the new name, man. I like it. Yeah. It always trips me out when I have uh, clients or like people who follow me on YouTube, my dating advice channel. And if they see me in person or if they message me, they call me PJ. I'm like, it just confuses me. Like, do I know this person? Where do I know him from? Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully if you're just a listener and a fan, don't call me Patrick or you're going to really confuse or don't call me PJ. Or you're going to really confuse me. Yeah, dude, talking about speaking your name out in loud nightclubs and bars and loud venues, dude, like Faraz, right? You say Faraz and people are like, what did you say? What, yeah. what? Like Roz? Like Ross? And it's been, it's been tough, but I just stuck with it because, you know, if I go down a, a nickname, then I'm afraid that'll stick and I want to be known by my real name. So, yeah. And you present yourself very well, like good looking dude. You always wear a blazer, I feel like. And so um, it, it works if you have a, a, a unique name. Like, but I feel like my personality, I, I'm kind of a douche sometimes. So PJ, if, if it gets, gets confusing, they just kind of write me off right away, you know? Hmm. Um, I don't know, a little self-deprecating humor. But anyways, no, dude, no, like, dude. so how'd you get no. into the whole uh, anti-aging movement? Because last time that I saw you, I was partying at your place in Beverly Hills, which you shortly moved out of after, after I'd left. Um, and unfortunately, we haven't partied together since because I haven't even been to California like more than once or twice since then. But uh, in that, since that time, I noticed that you kind of hold, you, you literally even changed your name on Instagram to anti-aging hacks, right? Yeah. So catch me up on all of that. 
Yeah, for sure. So by the way, I had a great time with you, man. So I, we are overdue for a catch up and yes. hang out together. Um, what happened after that place is we moved up into the hills, into the Beverly Hills. Great view of the city. It was just a beautiful place to be, right? And I moved in with a couple of dudes um, that we wanted to start a company together. And we were looking at the next iteration of what's coming. What are we passionate about and what's coming so we can mesh those two things together so we can build something that's one, we're providing value, we're super passionate about. And when the times get tough, you keep going because you're passionate about it, right? You're not just doing it for the money. Mm. And so we were like, you know, playing with blockchain for a little while. And we just realized that it was a very complicated ecosystem. And, uh, and I think that we had gotten in with the lure of, you know, trying to make quick money with cryptocurrency, yeah. as opposed to building the platforms and the frameworks that would take, you know, years and decades. And so we took a step, I took a step back from that and I said, okay, if I'm going to just do something on my own without partners, what is it that really moves me? And interestingly enough, Patrick, I would go to visit my family. I, you know, in the meantime, you know, my background's Indian. So I get a lot of guilt from the parents on spending time away. And so every time I'd go visit them, I just noticed that they were they felt a little bit older, right? They felt like they had more wrinkles. They felt like they were walking more slowly. And, and this guilt would like overtake me every time I was hanging out with them. And, and I was like, man, I, I'm here living my amazing life, enjoying myself with my friend circle, like traveling the world. And my parents just want to spend time with me. Like they don't have any expectation. They don't want my money. They just want to spend time with me, right? Yeah. And, and they would kind of make comments about it, but I would just brush them off because I was so busy living my life. And I finally said, you know, this time is going to fly by. I've got to find a way so I can do experiential stuff with them, like travel the world with them. And so I started Googling. I'm like, what can I do with for old age? How can I extend my parents' age? How can I extend a healthy age? And dude, I fell down into a rabbit hole that kept going. That tentacles were like stories deep. We're deeper than yeah. the New York subway, right? Uh -huh. and, and so I kept researching and I said, holy smokes, like we're about to, we're on the cusp of living a much longer, healthier life. And I started reading scientific papers and I got, I started geeking out like crazy on this and I got really excited and I wanted to implement all this for my parents. Um, but in the meantime, while I was researching, I'm like, maybe I can use it too. And so it was part of a, I want to help them, but I want to help myself. And that's how I got into anti-aging and I decided that this is a field that's about five to 10 years out from like real mainstream. Uh, and so I got into longevity and what I'm doing now is not only helping the longevity movement by spreading the word, but I'm trying to extricate the lessons that I'm learning from all these very interesting researchers in longevity and how to live a longer life and make it so that it applies to our age group. So people in their thirties and forties can live better lives, can have more energy, can have better skin, can have all these things where they don't feel like they're old. They don't feel like, oh my God, it takes me five days to recover from a session of going out anymore, right? So that's my goal is not only to help that movement, but also bring those lessons to where we are today. Interesting. So did you have a background in biology or anything like that beforehand? No, I did not. Uh, in fact, in high school, when uh, my parents were really pushing me to go towards the biology route, I studied biology in high school. And I remember dissecting this rat Bro, this was in, in a lab and I was dissecting yeah. things. This was a rat with a long tail. It wasn't like a cute mouse or anything, right? Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is disgusting. And so I'm dissecting it. 
and I have all this liquid all over my hands and I'm wearing these gloves and I open up the brain and I open up the rat and like, this does not interest me at all. Like there's nothing about this that moves the needle, right? I'd rather go study physics because I'm a soccer player. I'm like, I'm really more interested in yeah. if I kick a soccer ball, like where's it going to be three seconds from now, right up in the air. Right. And if you can calculate that, like that is unbelievable. Like you can correlate for friction. You can think about, you know, the curvature of the earth. You can think about the wind blowing. How can you figure out where the ball is going to be? That, it, that blew my mind. So I was way more interested in physics than, uh, than biology. So I like kind of got away from biology and I went to computer science. I got my master's in computer science. So I'm a technical guy. Um, but I can pick up things. I can read scientific papers. I've got the logical engineering brain. And so I said, man, I can, I can really make a difference. I can add to and uh, spread the word on this in this uh, field. So, Dang. So I actually, that's funny about the rat because um, I actually have a biology degree. And my senior year at Kansas State University, um, I, was, I had taken anatomy and physiology my junior year, which they call it human body there. Um, and then my senior year, I became a lab practicum. So like one of the lab TAs or whatever. And uh, we would dissect cadavers as well. But but to practice before we got on the cadavers, we would do the rats. And I remember everybody loved how good I was at teaching how to like the parts of the human body. But because I was like, it's a fucking rat. I hate rats. I was like the worst at teaching people how to do the rat. And my reviews would always be like, PJ is really good at teaching uh, the human body, but he's terrible at teaching rats. I'm like, damn right. And I ain't even mad about it. <laughs> yeah, man. They're just, I mean, like mice are maybe cute, but I don't think very heavy of rats at all. And if I don't have to dissect another rat in my life, I'm quite okay with it. Yeah, bro. I saw the craziest video yesterday on Instagram. I sent it to my girlfriend and she couldn't even watch it because she thought it was disgusting. It was literally like a seagull, like a bird. And it ate a rat whole right off the sidewalk, just picked it up. And it was like one of those New York city rats. So it was huge. And it just I, swallowed I it whole. Yeah. That's, That's crazy, bro. Post, right? Yeah, exactly. Dude, I was like, what is it swallowing? It seems big. Yeah, it's scary. You would think that the rat, if it was swallowed whole, it would be clawing and stuff on the inside of the seagull. But I don't know, man. Man, like, yeah, these seagulls seem delicate, but they must have the, the acid, the stomach acid of a, of a badass because that rat, you're right, it's, it's a fighter. It's not going to give up. Or it's the throat. Or the throat of steel, bro. Yeah, unbelievable. One of my worst fears is definitely getting eaten whole by an animal, like a hippo or a snake especially, bro. Yeah, I do. I hate snakes. Um, it's a different story, but I went to Peru a couple of years ago or a few years ago to like look, go find an anaconda in the wild. Mm. Um, but I had uh, four guys with me, so we knew we could out-wrestle an anaconda, right? But one-on-one, -on -one, I would run from a snake, bro. I'm super scared of snakes. Yeah. So you think four guys versus one anaconda would win? For sure. For sure. How you so? could then entangle it. Yeah. Was you, what did you say? You could entangle it from your body. If it coiled up, you could literally like move it around and like detangle yourself from it. So I'm pretty sure. If the snake really wanted to eat you, you think four guys could rip it off of them? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And we had machetes and all that stuff, right? So yeah. Have you ever seen a snake attack and eat and coil? Have you? Have I ever seen it? Yeah, like live. 
I've seen it on animals, like deer and antelopes, mm. not on humans, thankfully. Except I watched the movie Anaconda, man. Oof, that was scary, scary times. Yeah, but that snake's like so unrealistic. You would I, knock on wood, bro. But uh, um, so yeah, what's funny is like my impression of the constrictors, because not all of them constrict, right? Mm -hmm. um, my impression of the constrictors was from the movie Anaconda, like you said, but in college, um, my buddy was watching a snake um, for Josh Freeman. Uh, do you know who that is? Football quarterback, NFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went to mm -hmm. K-State. So my buddy, who was also on the team, was watching Josh Freeman's snake while Josh Freeman was off trying to do NFL things. And his snake was like a little – it wasn't a big anaconda. It was probably a three or four feet long, but it was a, a constrictor snake. And they would feed it live mice like twice a month. And mm -hmm. I remember watching this thing eat and it gave me chills like my fucking spine just shook i got goosebumps i'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it because it kind of just watches the mouse for like a few hours and the mouse is just sitting there in the corner scared to death right squeaking squeaking and then eventually the mouse gets a little confident starts walking towards the middle starts checking out its environment and as soon as he's not paying attention the snake you you can't you have to slow it down to see how fast that's that rat died the snake Left forward, bit it, and wrapped around it in like half a second. And you heard like a real quick like eek out of the mouse, and it was dead. And then it just slowly gets eaten whole. And wow. I was like, yo, if that thing was big enough to eat humans, we are fucked. We are fucked, for sure. Um, but anyways, dude, like, so anti-aging, let's get back on track here. So, um you started interviewing experts and stuff. Was it hard for you to pick up some of the lingo and stuff? Yeah, it took a little while for sure, because every industry that we get into and you've gotten into a couple yourself yeah. is there's a whole lingo that you have to go through and, and the human body is very complicated, right? And so we're still learning what are the pathways of aging? Like what are the organs? So it, it, this took me back to biology school, but now I'm at least talking pathways that have a, that have a result on the human body, not on rats or, or mice, even though a lot of the studies are done on mice. But yeah, so I had to pick up a lot of lingo and it took about six months of reading books and going to conferences until I could felt comfortable enough to speak about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it took a while. Um, some of those conferences I was watching you go to because you're posting about it on your story and stuff. First thing I noticed, I noticed a couple things. One, I was like, oh, I didn't know he was into anti-aging. And then I was like, yo, I never would have thought of Faraz as being like an old guy. I didn't think he looked old. And then I saw the people who were at these conferences. And from a marketing perspective, I'm thinking customer avatar and whatnot. I was like, oh, it makes sense that they actually have conferences about this because everybody there has white hair and is probably in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And Faraz is clearly like the grandchild of the group, you know? Man, Patrick, I'm so glad you picked that up because that was my exact thing, right? So I'm like... I'm like, all right, what are the uh, longevity conferences I need to go to this year? So I picked a few. I went there and I showed up and I was looking around. I'm like, oh, wait, like there's nobody else of my age group in this entire hall, in this entire room. What is going on? And so what I've learned very quickly, Patrick, is that the people that are most interested in longevity, meaning extending their life, are the people that feel mortal for the first time. And you know, in our age group, we're like, oh, whatever, bro. I can bench whatever I need to. Not a big deal. Let me yeah. throw around some weights. Let me go have some drinks. Let me do whatever I need to, right? I can recover fast. But at some point, 
the homeostasis of her body starts to shift towards degradation, towards aging. And that happens, it happens slowly, but suddenly you wake up and you go, why do I have all these wrinkles? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, why do I feel aches and pains? And so at that point, for men, it happens later in life because men are just lazy about things. We ignore the signs. Women are much better than us. They pick up the warning signs. They're more proactive. But men typically get to their 50s and then they're like, oh man, like, what do I do? Like, what can I do, right? So a lot of the people at this conference, to your point, were late 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s, uh, barely walk. Some of them were, couldn't even walk properly. So uh, it was very interesting to see the, the divide between people that are very interested in longevity and people that are morally interested in, um, more interested in the anti-aging components of it, like the now, like how do I look better? How do I do superficial stuff as opposed to the deep work that allows me to live the longer life? Mm. A couple interesting thoughts about the whole anti-aging movement. Um, I agree with you. I think just the simple fact that that we have more accessible information today, I feel like our generation and the generation below us is going to, the average age of death or whatever, I feel like we're going to live at least 20 to 30 years longer than the current senior generation, um, just because we have more technology available to us and more information. But do you think at a certain point, like for some of those guys, maybe it's too late, too, too little, too much, or too little, too late? Is that the right way to say it? Like, you think some of those guys are, they're about, they're about on the outs already? Yeah, so I'll talk about the very, very good question. By the way, uh, to your point, the technology is coming that's going to give us a quantum leap or at least a sizable leap in how long we can live much easier, right? The people that are in their 70s and 80s already, they are, they don't have the, the virtue of time. Like you and I, we can wait 20 years and see what actually works without harming us. For some of these folks that are in their 70s and 80s, they've got to move now. So they're going to try some of these interventions that may be on the riskier side, but you got to see the risk versus reward, right? If it gives them a 10 years uh, or 10 more years, but they're already in bad health, that may be a risk worth taking, right? Because it's not like they're doing great right now. Um, so there are actually interventions that people are taking that I wouldn't touch and I wouldn't recommend that you touch or people our age touch, uh, but they're taking it in the hopes that uh, it's going to give them longevity. And, and there's other people that are tracking them very, very closely, biomarkers, blood tests, all that stuff uh, in controlled trials to see how they do. So then we can learn those lessons and say the human body interacts this way, given these preconditions to this drug. Right. So for those people who are there, it's more high risk, high reward type of thing. What is the risk? Is the risk that they try this clinical trial of some sort and they could die tomorrow? Is that how risky it gets? Yeah, they could, they could die. Not, maybe not tomorrow, but sooner. It could lead to organ failure. It could lead to something going wrong in the body that could escalate quickly given the preconditions they have. Right? It's all about how healthy are you? Are you kicking butt? It's like a... this. It, this guy drive, uh, described it to me this way. It's like a train that's going down the highway. Like, you know, the, the old school robbers that would ride up on horses right yeah. next to the train and jump on the train. Yeah. Right? So if your train is going like a hundred miles an hour, no robbers are jumping on. You're like immune from all that. But if you're like going 10 miles an hour, then all these robbers are trying to come on and steal the gold that's on the train. So it's how good is the condition of your body right now? And if you're in good condition, then you can take on some of these risks. Uh, but if you're in bad condition, then there could be one or two 
bad mixtures of components or your organ might die or your kidneys fail and then you're in big trouble very quickly. Mm. So I guess my next question would be, is the goal of anti-aging to slow down the senescence process or is it to reverse it, right? Educate me on that. Yeah, no, this is a great, great point. So I want to give you the, I want to step back a little and give you the lay of the land of where this is going. Okay. Okay. Um, and when I started, I was like, oh, this means that I'm going to live maybe 20, 30 more years, which is cool. I can take those key interventions, the key things are being discussed. You start now, start early so that I slow down the rate of my aging, which means I look better than my peers going on and I can help my parents. So that was the original goal. Then I got into the movement and, and I learned that there's different types of people. There's the first class of people just want to live a longer life, right? There's, this is called a longevity, the science of longevity, where they're like, okay, what interventions can we use to live maybe 20 to 40 years more, okay? Then there's other folks that are coming in and saying, well, I want to be transhuman. What that means is you want to take on machine parts into your body and become more than human. So think about a Robocop, right? If you, if you ever watched it, like he's got titanium arms, bullets don't harm him. Yeah. And so you could start to, or a construction worker, if they had two steel arms, man, they could be so much more effective at their job or, or people fighting wars. If they had like uh, exoskeleton built in, that'd be amazing. They wouldn't get shot by bullets. So this is the next, this is the fringe, right? This is the transhumanism is how do we improve the human body? It's not tough enough. How do we make it tougher using either, you know, brain to cloud interfaces like Elon Musk is doing yeah. or just like metallic arms or metallic bodies or tougher bodies. Then there is the post-human world, which is we want to do nothing with the human body. It's too weak. It's too frail. We're going to work on a new system, a new society that maybe just takes the conscious into the cloud. The conscious gets uploaded to the cloud, then that gets downloaded to whatever new form it is. It doesn't even have to look like a human, right? So that's like the extreme French, is post-human. Yeah. Then we have transhuman, which is we want to improve the human body. It's just not good enough by itself. And then there's longevity, which is we just want to live a long life. And there's obviously drugs, biotechnologies, interventions that are coming in that are going to help us get there. And this is the most likely scenario mm. sooner than later. It's coming very, very soon. So it's, it's not at all about reversing age is what you're saying. It's more about how can we take on almost like another form, kind of like what Neuralink is doing with Elon Musk or just improve our longevity, right? Yeah. So it's, so part of the longevity movement is not only to slow down aging, but also to reverse it. So what they're saying is there's a guy named Ray Kurzweil, who's very well known, yeah. very intelligent guy. If you heard of him. Yeah, singularity. Yeah. So he talks about this concept of, and there's another gentleman who talks about this concept of age reversal escape velocity, right? We're all talking escape velocities with AI coming. But at this point, maybe 10 to 15 years out, for every year that you and I age, we will have technologies available to reverse the age by more than a year. So we're in effect, we're like Benjamin Button and we're going back in age. Mm. And I, what they're thinking is everybody's going to feel and act like they're in their 30s or at, at 30 years old until they die. So that's, that's the goal. So it is also reversing aging. Yeah. Well, I'm 30 right now, and I feel like I'm out of shape because I've been not working out as much, and I'm 
inspired to get back in shape. Hence, I got this whoop band that I was telling you about to track my sleep. Literally, earlier this week, I saw a brain scan. Have you ever heard of Dr. Amen? He does brain scans. Stuff. So this guy, interesting guy, I saw him speak at a conference, personal development conference. Dr. Amen, like, amen, praise the Lord, right? Uh, and he, he does this brain scan. It's called SPECT, S-P-E-C-T. And it shows the blood flow inside the brain. And the interesting part is he's like, I feel like he's one of the few doctors who's like an expert at this. Because if you search Dr. Amen, you see tons of brain scans or whatever. And, um, and he'll show what the blood flow in the brain of someone who's, uh, uh, doesn't sleep very much, doesn't get the right amount of sleep versus a healthy brain or someone who smokes weed every day versus a healthy brain or someone who's got ADHD. And it's crazy to see like some of these brains have massive holes in them where no blood flow is going there. Right. And, and one of them I saw earlier, cause, um, about a year ago, I started smoking weed because I felt like at night it would make me more introspective. It would make me more creative. And so I got into it and I, I went through about a year and a half or a year, year to a year and a half where I was doing it every day, usually at night after I was done working. And I started to feel myself becoming addicted to it. And what I meant was, what I mean is uh, when I wouldn't smoke that day or if I wouldn't hit a vape pen or if I wouldn't take an edible or something, I would feel nauseous and I would feel sick. And I was like, yo, that's, that's crazy. And so he, he uploaded a brain scan of like uh, an average user of uh, marijuana versus a healthy brain. And it literally looks like, it, the best way I can describe it is if you took a pill, like an Adderall pill or something that dissolves with when it touches water or something and it dissolves away and it kind of looks just like, like bumpy and stuff. That's what the brain looked like for an 18-year-old marijuana user who uses it every day. Now, here's the thing. When I see that, I'm thinking, okay, you're – because here's the thing. He, he is a little bit biased when I watch his interviews because he talks about um, how he's never smoked marijuana or ingested THC, but he's outspoken against it, and he's doing it because of the brain scans. But if you look up all of his brain scans, they show – um, the brain scan of a marijuana user who's under the age of 25. So 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, but no one who's got a fully developed prefrontal cortex when their brain is fully formed at age 25. So I'm wondering, does the brain loss come from, does it slow down after the age of 25 if you start smoking after the age of 25? So that's one thing to think, but either way, it was enough to at least convince me to stop smoking indefinitely until the time being, um, until I do some more research on my own. So I literally have my girl uh, lock away in her, her own safe that I don't have access to. Usually she puts junk food that I, I will eat if it's out and she wants, doesn't want me to eat it. She'll put it in her little lock box. And I was like, hey, lock away all my weed so I don't smoke it at all this week. And I instantly feel ironically more after it you know during the day i'm more on top of things um but it's just a minor difference and and who knows uh, i don't know what, what are your thoughts on like the whole marijuana and versus like the senescence and coming from the anti-aging perspective i <clears throat> on this one actually i don't have a lot of thoughts i know that there's a lot of money going into marijuana and so i'm seeing people that are in the health industry health influencers jumping into it trying to find links with studies that you know, may not be strong links necessarily on, on CBD for skin or CBD for this or CBD for that. Um, I believe it has some advantages in certain scenarios, 
but I, I honestly haven't researched marijuana enough, yeah. any of the components of marijuana enough to have an opinion regarding anti-aging. I know that there has been, there has been no research, direct research that correlates using or not using marijuana to an improved lifestyle or improved or longer life. Right. So with anti-aging, there isn't any direct link. Got it. What is, so what, I guess you mentioned that study versus marijuana and lifestyle and whatnot. What, what were some of the conclusions that you saw? Do you remember? Uh, I do not remember on that one. No. Got it. Um, so I guess let's go back onto the, the whole uploading to the cloud, because when you were talking about that, it reminded me of a show I recently saw, um, called upload on Amazon prime. Have you heard of it? I have not. No the whole you should check it out it, it's 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 definitely a sitcom so it's like a comedy but it brings in some really uh some interesting moral and ethical issues that may or may not exist with the possibility of being able to upload yourself to the cloud and so in this world in the show upload um it's the near distant future and um and basically if you're about to die they can just download your brain and your consciousness into this I don't know, kind of like one of those worlds, like a, like a RPG, like a role-playing game. It's like a whole world and it's like a retirement community kind of. And what's crazy is like in this future, um, you have to have money to be able to go to the nice retirement place and download your consciousness there. If you have a little bit of money, um, then you get limited data and your consciousness gets frozen until the end of the month if you run out of data. And it's, it's crazy. Like, so there's a lot of that stuff going on, but it made me wonder from like, um, like a human standpoint, if my consciousness was downloaded, is it really me or is it really just a copy of me? And then I got high and I thought about it some more and I was like, yo, what is our consciousness? What causes us to be conscious? And I was like, well, the brain is just a bunch of neurons and neural connections, right? So if you download the same exact neural connections and pathways and our brain chemistry will change based on stimuli in our environment. So what if when you download your consciousness, it is actually you, even though it's a copy of you, but you, your conscious is really just the decision-making algorithm that is the result of neural connections. So you copy that down and it can still grow, change and adapt over time. So what if it really is you? So I don't know, what are some of your thoughts on, on the actual Elon Musk Neuralink and even just the ability to download your consciousness, upload it to the cloud? Yeah, it's it's a very very interesting field. There's another show on Netflix called Altered Carbon, okay. which you might have seen, and it's basically similar concept, not as well thought off as like you get different grades of where you live and what community you're part of, but it's your brain uh, gets uploaded somewhere, and you get a new body, right? You could pick a body that you want. You're like, well, I want military grade muscles, and I want this kind of intelligence, and I want height i'm on this eyes i'm on this you know this type of hair uh, so you could pick everything on a body and what they were doing in this show is anybody that was a convict or that was convicted of a you know life sentence or death they would yeah. just preserve the body and upload your consciousness into the body so now you become that person so my thoughts are it's where we're going right it's it's inevitable that we're gonna go there it's 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 a different concept to grasp your arms around because right now we think of ourselves as body plus consciousness, right? That's what makes us, right? right. But when you, when you get rid of the, the body in the transhuman world or in the post-human world, when the body no longer serves you because you want to live a thousand years and the, the theoretical, theoretical maximum capacity for the body may be 140, 
maybe 180 because it just breaks down, right? Cellular organism. So then what happens? You're going to have to get into a new form. So then your consciousness is going to be uploaded somewhere. The risk there is, and a very good point you made is you could have a hundred copies of your consciousness. In fact, in AI circles, they're talking about when AI becomes more intelligent than the human person, then this AI is going to be like Einstein, right? Let's just say there's an Einstein, but there's going to be a thousand Einsteins always working, not taking a break to go pee, take a shit, sleep, have emotional issues, fight with the wife, argue with the girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever you have it. So it's like a thousand Einsteins that are working in tandem and they're saying there's going to be discoveries, new discoveries, breakthroughs every five minutes, which just boggles our mind because we're like, is that even possible, right? So to your point about the consciousness, it's going to go there. I, I, I don't know what to think about it because the, the progressive in me wants to say that, yes, we should get there, but there's a lot of risks to it, including if anything is stored in the cloud, it can and will be hacked. And so your memories can get erased. Your consciousness can get changed. So really, who are you then if somebody all-knowing, stronger than you can change you? It's just very interesting things to think about. That's actually something that happened in the show Upload was this guy had some information and they were actively hacking his little community that he was in and going into his little file and deleting memories from him. And that was, it's kind of crazy to think that they've kind of thought through some of these dilemmas that arise with uploading your consciousness. Another one that makes me kind of worried is like, if you really think about what motivates Faraz or Pastor James on a day-to-day basis, a lot of it comes down to survival and reproduction. We go out, we get a better outfit, we get more money so we can have more status, attract a better mate um, and have better offspring, right? But if you're just a, a consciousness AI, you don't have a physical body that has the need to survive and reproduce because you can just copy paste, copy paste, you know, clone or whatever. Um, then do, are you really even the same type of being? Are you, or are you a completely different species? Because you might completely evolve into something that's completely different than you. And another example from Altered Carbon, I saw in season two, I didn't really get too much into the show, but I've seen a few episodes. The first episode of season two, he, this guy comes back and he's an Asian woman, right? And this muscular secret agent. And it made me think like, okay, well, if, if, our body and our stimuli is reacting to our environment based on our need to survive and reproduce. <clears throat> this muscular man who was a, uh, an agent before is now an Asian woman who's singing in a bar and that's just his cover at the time. But does his motivation slowly change to now the survival and reproductive strategy of a female now? And now you can argue, is he even the same person? So it makes me wonder like, how far are we going to take this? And can we even take it that far and still maintain our identity, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. I think you're hitting it on the mark because as we see, at least in the evolution of man or woman, as we're living on this earth in the first 30 or 40 years, man, we're all there chasing status. We're out there chasing mates. We're out there trying to get the best life for ourselves. But then finally at some point, and for some it's later than others, you become wise and you're like, Oh, how can I be more selfless? How can I help? How can I go meditate in the Himalayas for 10 years? And you would never do that when you were 25, right? Because you're 25, you're like, let's go reproduce, right? Let's go find a mate. But at some point, your evolution of your, and, and, and I think it has to do with your body too, because your body's like, well, I'm a shell of who I used to be. 
So the body and mind kind of decide that you want to, you want to be in peace with the world, with nature, with what's going on, as opposed to fighting it, as opposed to battling and fighting everybody that's cutting you off on the street. And so to your point, it goes hand in hand, how much hand in hand or who influences, who influences whom we don't know. Cause it's a complex interplay of hormones of your body strength yeah. and your time on earth. Cause you're seeing new things, you're experiencing life and you go, there's more than just my little microcosm of the world. And so therefore right. maybe I should be more altruistic in some way. And as a personal, as your personality develops, think about even what causes your personality to develop. You have different allergies because your body responds to shellfish or eggs or cheese or dairy different ways. So you tend to gravitate towards different re restaurants, preferences, things that tr countries you want to travel to. Your motivations change based on how your body responds to different things. Uh, it's really interesting. These are some of the thoughts that I feel like it, I love this conversation already because sometimes I talk to people who I feel like don't think about this stuff as deeply as people like you and I. Um, and, and I feel like I'm pretty well versed in the biology realm to where like, these are things that I, I find interesting. I want to talk about, but I don't know. It's interesting to hear your perspective for sure. So if you had the chance, like let's say tomorrow, Elon Musk was like, yo, I have a way for you to download your consciousness. You'll live forever. Live as long as you want. Life will be great. You can get whatever you want. Cause it's a program. We can do whatever we want. Would you do it? Man, this is a really, really tough question. Um, if, if he gave me the chance to be one of the pioneers in this space, given my age, I would probably pass right now. Hmm. In 20 years, I would take it on, say, give it to me. Right now, you know, as a technologist, I've done a lot of my technology in the past. I know there's a lot of bugs in the first versions of anything you put out there. I put out a lot of products and there are lots and lots of bugs. And with the consciousness, the problem is it could be irreversible, right? Because if your consciousness changes, then, you know, are you done? Are you a completely different person? I think that there's more that I have to explore myself of life that I want to give myself some more time before I get into these interventions that are completely life-changing and earth-shattering and groundbreaking. Would you? What would you do? I don't know. I feel like I would probably try to put it off until the, the, the very last moment where I had to make a decision. And then at that point, then you come to the dilemma of, do you believe in the afterlife? And do you believe the afterlife will be better than what you're experiencing now? And I feel like if we get there one day and I'm on my deathbed, probably out of survival instinct, which is again, something that's driven by my human body, which will that survival instinct even exist after, after you're out of this body? Um, I would probably do it out of a survival instinct, but I think eventually, I mean, eternity is a long time. You know, I would want, I would probably want the ability to off myself in the, in the fake afterlife eventually. Um, which also brings up an interesting point because I feel like it would be beneficial to be able to clone a consciousness for specific people. Like imagine if they had this technology when Jesus Christ was still alive. Imagine if they had this when Elon Musk was, or not Elon Musk, Tesla was still alive, right? We could, or Einstein, we could hypothetically download someone's consciousness like that who's a genius, a mover and shaker in the world and humanity and continue their work 
with this AI or whatever. It's almost like, I guess if you're downloading consciousness, it's like a self-writing AI. Now you have an AI that has the same thinking processes as Einstein, you know? So it would be interesting, but I don't know. I feel like it's a little, little too progressive for 2020. Like Elon Musk was talking about on Joe Rogan's podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he wants, his goal is to have Neuralink mainstream in the next five years. And what he's saying is they're going to drill a hole inside your skull and then they're going to attach this microchip to your brain and you'll be able to do all these benefits. And it's going to start, he's going to win people over. I know he's going to do it because he's a, he's a fucking showman. He's a marketer. He's going to win people over by curing paraplegics or reversing different diseases that are affected directly by the spinal cord or your neural pathways. But like, as soon as he cures down syndrome for someone with Neuralink, everybody's going to hop on the Neuralink bandwagon. Now here's, here's the, the danger. Like you said, every first prototype has some bugs. And think about the iPhone. How many iPhones, one in a thousand, is going to be defective? Do you really want to invest all your chips, have them a fuck, fuck with your brain chemistry, and have the potential of getting the defective iPhone version, you know, the defective Neuralink? What if there's a bug in the system? And another thing is like, now he has a direct pathway to my brain. And if he's a marketer, if he's a businessman, what if he starts throwing advertisements in my eyeballs? I just don't like that, you know? And such profound thoughts, my man. Like, are you doing marijuana and thinking these thoughts? Because I'm very impressed, by the way. Ironically, I'm not high right now. But I think I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm a, I did become very introspective after weed, after smoking weed, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very impressed. This, this conversation is going way deeper than I thought, but I am happy to discuss this, right? So the point you made of Elon Musk winning people over, he's going to win people over. We know that. You and I know that. He's, he's smart. He's a, he's a marketing genius. Um, he may solve some of the challenges, but here's what's going to happen, right? So the first, the people that are going to jump on this, that are going to install that chip, which means now they have access to the entire Amazon cloud library of all the information that's ever existed. So if you want to know about the fountain of youth, you're like, wait, here you go. If you want to know how to fly a helicopter, you're Neo from the matrix. Only it doesn't take you 11 hours. It takes you a millisecond to go, I know how to fly a helicopter. Let's go. Yeah. Right. So with, you get a lot of power. You get drunk in the power that you're going to have because now you're, you're equal to a supercomputer in terms of how much information you can retrieve and what you can do. And then you can offload decision-making. So you can say, hey, Siri, go find out the best detergent for me. That's here's my four criteria, go do it. So your personal AI is gonna start doing a lot of the things in your life. You don't have to, because right now when you, you and I go buy a camera, you built up your studio, right? You had to do research, man. You had to spend hours and hours and hours. What if you could tell this Neuralink thing, hey Siri, go do the research, build, uh, build the best studio for $1,000 or $5,000. And it's gonna order all the parts, they show up, a mechanic guy shows up, he fixes it all, and then you show up two days after and it's working perfect. And you go, isn't that something? So what this is gonna do is some people are gonna have unbelievable advantage over the mere mortals. And so people are gonna say, I'm not gonna be left behind. There's a lot of competitive people in the world, especially in Silicon Valley. Those people want to live forever, for sure. We know that, right? Because they're like, we have added so much value to the world. We're the technological warlords. We can't die. So they're the, they're the ones that are like gunning for immortality or longevity, as, as you may call it. So 
the question will become a dilemma because you're like, well, do I want to be stuck in the human race of like, you know, having a bad day and not having enough sleep and like not able to think about what I had for dinner last night? Or do I want to be the next trillionaire with these ideas that I have at my disposal? Yeah. And it's interesting, like if Elon Musk was trying to download people's consciousness and he's serious about this, I, w- I would want to see him take the first prototype, honestly. Like if this man is so sold on it, then you would think that he would do it to himself. And at that point, now he becomes like the su- every super villain from Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Dude, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. So he, he said he's, he wants to be the first man to go on to Mars, which is highly, highly risky. We know that, right? Chances of failure are going to be pretty high. Um, if he's going to do that, then I'm sure he's going to put a neural link in his brain. And when he does it, the hordes will follow. He's like the Pied Piper of modern technology. So you think he would actually go to Mars first? It's what he said. I believe he said that publicly. Okay. I mean, like you're right. I mean, what if it does fail? But in my opinion, Mars is a one-way trip. Unless, unless his rocket does have enough fuel to get back to Earth. But I think he's thinking of it as a one-way trip. So it's like, do you really want to send one of the world's brightest minds right now to a different planet where he might as well be dead, you know, cause he's not on earth anymore. He doesn't have Wi-Fi connection. He's not able to create Tesla's anymore. Um, so if he is serious about going to Mars first, I mean, I guess we'll see, we'll see what his, what solutions he's thought through. Um, another thing with Elon Musk is like, uh, Oh, he recently launched that rocket into space. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, that was an unbelievable, man. Teamed up. Great feet. Yeah. Are you still living in, in, in the Hollywood Hills, by the way? Yeah, no, I'm in West Hollywood right now. Just, just down from the Hollywood Hills. How's, how's West Hollywood being affected by everything going on right now? Is it still kind of crazy over there? It was, there was, uh, the protests were happening a week, uh, sorry, not a week, but a block away from me. And so it was very interesting because there was police choppers up in the air mm-hmm. and I was trying to record podcasts and, yeah. and do work like this. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't because there's too much sound noise coming into my house. And so I had to postpone a few calls. Yeah. But I think it's finally settling down. How about you? How's the scene over there? Uh, it was very similar because I'm in downtown Phoenix. And so downtown Phoenix is where the riots started in Arizona. And then they kind of spread over to Scottsdale. Um, so it's definitely close to home. In fact, all the rioters and the protesters for about a week straight were marching right down my street. And so on the nights that they were looting things, I was actually starting to get worried because they're walking right by my apartment at like one or two in the morning. Right. And if they're looting, which luckily they didn't loot anybody's apartment, but my building has uh, loft apartments that have street access. So their front door opens to the street. So if these looters didn't know that this was an apartment building and they thought, Oh, these are our small businesses, they might be breaking windows to someone's apartment. And Arizona is also an open carry state. And I guarantee you, if I have a gun and someone's looting my fucking front door, I'm shooting, period. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. I mean, that's too close for comfort. You understand, um, I understand the reasons behind the protest. I do not condone the violence, which is actually making their case worse, right? Um, but yeah, like if you're in somebody's home, they're afraid of death. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to the wire and that's not a decision you want anybody to make because it's, it's going to be against you if you're looting and rioting. Yeah. Did you see some of the videos of like 
this store owner got jumped by a bunch of people and he was just laying there lifeless on the ground. I saw that one, man. That was, was that in Phoenix? That was very heartbreaking. I don't think it was Phoenix. I think it was like Texas or something. Um, But then I, I saw it on Twitter. And so I looked at the, the Twitter replies and whatnot. Apparently the guy was also chasing people around with a machete beforehand. So he probably was asking for it. Um, and I think also they were able to get him conscious again. So I don't know if he ended up surviving, but man, that was, it was scary to see a video like that. Yeah. I was like, Oh my goodness, please. I hope you're safe. Cause you know, you see them and there's a bunch of people in there and then they all go away and he's just laying there with his arm twisted. Yeah. And all at that moment, I'm like, please, I hope you're alive. This sucks, but let's heal. Let's, let's get back. Let's get past this. Yeah. I think for me, when I think of anti-aging, sorry to change the subject back to the anti-aging, I'm sure you love it anyways. Uh, with the anti-aging, I'm, I'm less excited about the longevity aspect because I think health, fitness, like a lot of this is still along the same lines of improving your longevity. Um, I'm more excited about the possibility to reverse aging if that's even possible. Because the first thing I think when, like, even when I first heard about anti-aging from following you on Instagram, I was like, yo, is this some, did they figure out something about telomere, like telomeres and stuff? Because we learned about in anatomy and physiology. And even when I was in dental school, we learned about telomeres and telomeres just shorten over the span of your life because it's kind of like the end of your DNA because your DNA to grow to produce new cells, it has to reproduce the cells and they divide. And every time you divide, you lose a little bit off of your telomeres. And theoretically, by the end of your telometer, telomere, if there's not enough to lose anymore, then you can't live any longer. And they call that process senescence of the telomere shortening and all that. And that's where you see the signs of aging, the, the wrinkles on your forehead and whatnot. And so when I heard about anti-aging through you, I was like, did they figure out how to stop telomere shortening? Did they figure out how to, how to make it perfect? And then I think back to my physics background, um, the second law of thermodynamics, it's either the first or second law, you can't, every system is gonna have some loss, right? No matter what, when you put work into a system or anything, it always produces heat. So you think about air conditioning, my air conditioning just turned on and I'm already freezing, but that air conditioning is not cooling the air it's actually shooting cold air in, but a lot of hot air from the air conditioning running is blowing outside, right? And so there's always that heat loss. There's always a little bit of loss from the system doing work. And so it almost makes you wonder, is it even possible to not lose anything off your telometer mirrors? But then I saw the whole CRISPR movement on um, Netflix. They had that series, uh, Unnatural Selection. And I'm like, yo, they legit figured out how to like manipulate DNA to our advantage. So who knows? Anything is possible. What, do, what have you heard about that? Anything's possible, man. So there's about seven to nine different pathways of aging, depending on who you talk about. And telomeres are one critical component of that. There's many others like mitochondrial dysfunction, which means okay. mitochondria stop working. Um, there are senescent cells, like these zombie cells, which you, which you just referenced, which basically what that happens is when, your cell divides about 50 times. Then it's at the end of that, the telomeres are too short, so it doesn't need to divide or it can't divide anymore because that would damage your DNA. So the cell is supposed to die and it's supposed to just kill itself and say, okay, bye-bye, I'm gone. But for some reason, it doesn't because there's dysfunction in the body. So the cell just sticks around and becomes like a grumpy old man. And this grumpy old man is like leaking 
inflammatory cytokines or an inflammation in your body. So it's inflaming other cells around it, which is why older people have more inflammation. They've got arthritis, they've got inflammation, which is one of the fastest ways you age. And you can't really tell it's happening inside your body. It's like the hidden killer, okay? Uh, and so one of the other pathways is, which many companies are working on through different ways to solve this puzzle, engineering puzzle, is how do we get rid of these senescent cells? They say if you're 80 years of age, you could have 20 to 30% of your cells could be senescent, meaning causing inflammation. That's a lot of cells doing damage to your body, right? And they've done these models on mice where they've gotten rid of the uh, or the senescent cells and the mice has turned younger. Like you see the fur, it's gone back to black. The gray is gone. And the, mouse, the, mice, the mouse starts running more and it's more active and you go, huh. So that's one of the ways. Then there's a whole new uh, pathway, which is how do we improve the immunity? And that's very important in times like these with COVID is the immune system, which is created in a couple of organs in your body, but your thymus right here, your thymus gland behind your breast bone, uh, trains all the immune cells in your body. And so the thymus gland starts shrinking when you're a teenager. Hmm. When you're a teenager, it starts shrinking. And by the time you turn 50, it's mostly fat. And therefore, immunity goes down when you're older, which is why a common cold can kill you, right? So there's a couple of scientists that are rejuvenating the immunity of the body, the T cells. They're regrowing the thymus. And that is causing a reversal in all the age-related biomarkers. And I just interviewed a scientist that's reversed aging in humans, the first guy to have ever done it, the first scientist. And he's doing it through uh, thymus regeneration. So there's like seven to nine pathways. And then there is stem cell exhaustion, right? The stem cells that we have, we just get tired and they stop helping you out when you get injured. They stop producing new stem cells. So it's seven to nine pathways. And if we can target them all, then we will have a reversal. Even if we target one or two, if we can increase the size of telomeres, so your cells can keep dividing more, that's going to help. How much? It could be 5 to 20%. I don't know. But if we target all seven, we're going to have a much better effect than we just win in one or two. But even when a win in one or two areas is going to be still significant. Damn. I didn't know about the thymus. So uh, I knew about the thymus. I didn't know that they were working on that. And that was like one of the, the pathways of aging. So this guy has able, been able to, he's actually been able to do it successfully in humans? Yes, this is the first scientist, because every study out of fear for side effects is done in animal models, is done in mice, it's done in bigger animals, but not directly in humans, unless you're literally facing, or you know, almost facing death, in which case you could take a high risk, right? Uh, but this scientist, he used three compounds, and he's reversed a lot of signs of aging has improved kidney function, has improved your thymus cells, he's regrown the thymus gland, he's improved immunity, he's improved, you know, he's dropped the insulin and sugar levels in your blood. Like there's about 10 or 20 markers that they're measuring. Mm -hmm. And there's a clock called the epigenetic clock, which is the closest indication of your actual physical age and when you're going to die. It is the best approximation of how old you are. Not uh, compared to your physical age, right? This is the biological age, which is what the epigenetic clock mentions or, you know, tracks. And they've done before and afters of the epigenetic clocks, multiple epigenetic clocks, and like 10 plus markers of aging have been reversed just by regenerating the thymus. Now, you might ask me, well, how many years am I going to get from this? I don't know. You might get 10, 20 years. So it's not going to be like 100 more years, 
But every one of these interventions is going to add on to the other one. And so the net effect is going to be maybe a multiplier, not just a simple addition. So with the, with the whole regeneration of the thymus, is there a point of no return at a certain point? Cause you said it turns to adipose tissue and yes. fat cells and whatnot at a certain point. Is it too far gone? Yes. This is, that's an excellent question, Patrick. They think you should start. So I asked him, the scientist directly, this question is at what age should I use this intervention to reduce the risk to my body and to make sure that I don't run out of my thymus gland. It's not just blubber at that point, right? Not adipose fat. And he recommends the first age intervention should be at age 45. So okay. we've got enough. And, and I said, okay, how often do I do this? Uh, he says you should do it once every 10 years. So do it for about a year and then just wait 10 years and then do it again and then do it again. So you can kind of regenerate it and keep it going. Is it going to get back to when you were a teenager? I very strongly doubt it, but it's going to keep it strong enough that you don't suffer as a result of your vastly reduced immunity. So at age 45, is that the age he recommends starting or the, the age that he says is the latest you should start? Like, cause you start at 14 when it's fully there still? No, he recommends starting at age 45, like the first intervention at age 45. Now, of course, as this model proves itself, cause now he's doing part two of the trial. The first part was only on nine men and he reversed all of them, right? Pretty much all of them. Wow. And now he's doing uh, a lot more men. He's incorporating females. He's getting minorities in the mix, like different socioeconomic indicators for people from uh, different backgrounds in the mix. So he's doing a bigger study, which is kicking off this year. Uh, it may be delayed a little bit because of COVID, but as soon as this comes out, then he hopes to be in the market in five years. So that's pretty soon. So you and I, we are looking at a future rich with available options that have been deemed to be safe by scientific studies so we can take advantage and look very, very young and act, hopefully not act young, but, you know, be yeah, young for yeah. a long time. Um, so what is it? Is it like a, is it like a, a hormone you take? Is it electroshock? Does he shock it somehow? Like what does he do? Yeah. So there's a combination of three very common compounds that are found every day in our bodies or even outside our bodies. One of them is DHEA, which a lot of men take because those levels reduce as you age. The second one's growth hormone, which a lot of people take. It's not recommended because it can cause, it can lead to cancer. It may lead to cancer. And the third one is the drug metformin, which a lot of diabetics take. And what metformin does is it lowers your blood sugar, it controls your blood sugar well. So when you're combining these three, somehow the combination, the cocktail of these three drugs is reducing the negative side effects of growth hormone by itself. And so instead of your body going to this massive growth mode, which could turn on cancers, it's actually reducing or getting rid of the side effects of, uh, of the uh, growth hormone, but regenerating this piece, right? The thymus, which is a very interesting combination. Nobody thought this would have done, but he's, uh, he's known about, this is a very celebrated scientist. He's actually, speaking of regenerating the mind and consciousness, he has frozen rabbit kidneys like cryo-frozen, and then brought them back into fully functional kidneys. So they start working again, right? So he's a, he's a cool guy, and uh, I had a chance to interview him. So I'm, I'm waiting mm. uh, when this thing gets available. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it out in a, a few years. Okay. You're, you're not in your 40s, are you? I just turned 40 like 
No way. Yeah. I would have never guessed. So what are you doing on the day-to-day basis today? Are you doing any anti-aging measures or just more monitoring your health? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing a few. I take a few supplements. Uh, we can talk about what I do. So first of all, my biggest thing that I would advise everybody listening is you have to stop taking the things that are trying to kill you. And what are these? These are toxins. There's a lot of toxins in the environment that we live in. There's smoke, there's too much alcohol, there's too much sunlight, there's inorganic foods, there's pesticides, there's water in your tap water, things that contain chemicals. There's bath and body supplies that you lather on your face every day. There's your shampoos that you put on your skin that have harmful chemicals that are irritants, carcinogenics, and other things that are known to cause hormone disruptions and other things. So you want to limit anything that's touching you as much as possible. So if you live in a major city like Los Angeles, try to get out, right? Check your water supplies. You can go to EWG, check your water supplies. My tap water has 520 times more arsenic, which is a carcinogenic compound in LA than it's supposed to have. And that's listed on the EWG website, okay? So just some indicators of what's coming into our system that we don't even know of. There's, if you're smoking, please stop smoking. If you're drinking too much, please cut down. It's very, very bad for you. Check every one of your things that you put on your body, your creams, your shampoos. Make sure there isn't any compounds that are harming you. And I'm happy to provide you the list. But get rid of the things that are trying to kill you, number one. Number two, fix the big three. Sleep is the biggest one. Make sure you get enough sleep. So you're wearing a tracker, I see Patrick, I'm wearing an O-ring. You don't have to wear anything, but make sure you get enough sleep. You know, maybe you might need to be in bed for eight and a half to nine hours to get seven hours plus of sleep because we toss and turn a lot, more than we think. And you'll find out soon when you start tracking your sleep. My first night I I wore this was also happened to, just by coincidence, be the first night that uh, after a day of no weed at all um, in a while for me. And uh, I had 12 disturbances through the night and it, it took off like two hours of sleep for me, which is crazy. Nice. I would have never known, you know? It's shocking. When you start to measure your sleep, you go, holy hell, I'm sleeping really badly, right? And so you start to fix that. Um, so those, So sleep, fix your sleep, eat the right foods. I don't need to talk about this too much. There's just eat wholesome foods, right? Whatever diet you follow is fine. I don't care. Uh, and then workout, workout, always workout. Like do hit and do strength training. This is gonna recharge your mitochondria. Your mitochondria is the powerhouse of your cells, is the factory in your body that's making all the energy. So you need more of them. So those are the the basics, right? The table stakes. Then you can get on. It depends on what you're asking. Do you, are you asking me about skin? Are you asking me about slowing down my aging? Because we can go down a couple of different paths there. Um, what do you find most important, more relevant? What I find more relevant is to slow down the aging of my body, not necessarily try to hide my wrinkles. Mm. And to do that, uh, there's two or three things that are, that are causing faster aging. Number one is inflammation in your body that's hiding. Inflammation has a different word it's known by. It's called inflammaging. Okay, because aging you from the inside is the, the worst, the most nefarious thing that's happening to you and it's undetectable. So you want to eat foods, you want to take supplements that reduce the amount of inflammation in your body. So the one easiest one to do that 
is curcumin, right? Turmeric, as some people might know it. Just take a curcumin supplement and that's really going to help you. That's natural. It's going to crush, reduce the inflammation that's in your body. So that's number one. Number two is this thing called glycation, which really stands for, you know, we love eating foods that are salty, that are fatty, that have a lot, a lot of, of carbohydrates, right? Yeah. Sugars, carbohydrates, and carbohydrates turn into sugars in your body very, very quickly. So if you think about it, Patrick, uh, burrito with white rice, right? A lot of carbs in that meal, but we love it, man. Like yeah. we got to eat it, right? It's just, it just does something for you. So, or pizza, slice of pizza. And what that's doing is in your body, it's, that's converting very, very quickly into sugar, very fast, like 15, 20 minutes. And there's an explosion of sugar in your body because there's a lot of simple carbohydrates. You get a lot of sugar. Your yeah. body can only tolerate this much sugar because your body tells your cells, hey, take the energy. I've got a lot of sugar. Take it. And your cells go, cool, let me grab the glucose. So it grabs the glucose. But after a little bit, it's like, I'm good, bro. But there's a lot of sugar. So the body goes, oh, what do I do? So it says, let me put in the liver. So it throws some in the liver. It sends some to the muscles. There's still a lot of sugar. What happens here is one of two things. It gets converted into fat, which is bad, okay, for a lot of reasons. But two, this sugar clogs up or gums up the proteins. It attacks DNA. Wow. And proteins, we have about 60,000 types of proteins in our body. They're the ones that are doing the work. Like you talk about construction workers building buildings. Those are the proteins. They're doing all the work in your body, okay? And it gums up the protein, meaning the sugar molecules attach to the protein and lock it up. So this, this 30,000 molecule protein that's supposed to do all these things now is like blocked. It can't do anything. It's a waste in your body. And so you want to not have excess sugar ever in your body. It leads to diabetes, which leads to kidney disease, which leads to blindness, which causes amputation of arms and is the second leading cause of death in the United States. So please control your carbs as much as possible. See, this is something that is definitely relevant for me. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, we hear this stuff all the time. Sugar is bad. Don't eat so much sugar. Don't eat so many carbs. Yet, my girlfriend, who I live with, has the diet of a five-year-old from the 90s. So it's, it's god-awful. And this woman, she's always feeling sick. She's never feeling 100%. And I've been on a big health kick because I used to be really fat. And so I watch my carbs. I watch my sugar. Most of the time I'm tracking my, what I eat so I can get my macros and just keep track of it. But I had my girlfriend download an app um, this year in February. And for, so for the whole month of February, I had her track because every night it's mac and cheese, it's candy, like just straight candy, you know, and that's her entire diet for the day and potato chips. And I'm like, yo, this can't be good for you. And also she struggles to put on weight. So she's like thinking to herself, I'm skinny. I'm not getting fat. I can eat junk food, whatever. And her excuse is always, I use, she used to be a ballet dancer. So she used to dance a lot and she would have a strict diet. And so apparently her excuse that she says is, I, now that I'm not a dancer anymore, I just want to be able to enjoy myself. And she says just like that. So she can, she can justify it with her enthusiasm. 
right? <laughs> and so um, I had her track calories. So this is a 105 pound girl and she tracked her, her food for an entire month, the whole month of February. I looked at it and I about had a panic attack looking at her macros. Uh, every day looked about exactly the same because she has a diet of mac and cheese, potato chips and candy and oh yeah, soda and Red Bull. And that's the, it. She doesn't even drink water. She just drinks soda and Red Bull. Okay. So here, here's what her macros look like. 250 grams of carbs, 30 grams of protein, 50 grams of fat a day. And I mean, if, if I didn't know what she was eating, I'd be like, no, that's pretty decent. Good job. Yeah. Uh, but now that I know what she's eating, I'm like, oh God, like every piece of my body is revolting right now. It's like, yeah. Patrick, you got to stop her immediately. I tried. So I scared her with the whole uh, diabetes scare. Said it's an, basically verbatim what you said. For about two weeks, it scared her into eating protein and, and just like normal foods. And we went to Whole Foods. We spent $300 at Whole Foods, which is double what we normally spend at our local grocery store that's not Whole Foods. Um, but it was worth it to me. And in fact, we found out that organic fruit and produce tastes way better for some reason. Um, but she's already back to it. It lasted about two weeks. Me, I'm still eating healthy, right? But so when I, when I hear like obviously an expert now saying you need to eat, stop eating so much sugar, how do you take the average person who doesn't know as much about biology and health as you and I, because I have a biology degree and you study this shit every day. How do you take an average person and get them to change their fucking habit from that? Yeah, that's tough. So we, there's a couple of ways to do it. Okay. And I, I can't say I'm speaking from experience because luckily I'm able to influence those around me in a, in a way without completely interrupting their pattern. One way to do this is to do what Tony Robbins does, is to shock your state in such a way that you're like, oh my God, I've got to do something about this, right? So that's one way. I, I don't have the skills to do that. I don't know if you do, but that will be one way. Like you literally shock the system and you're like, oh shit, this can't go on, right? But that comes from a lot of pain, usually, when there's pain building up. And in her case, she's like, she's, you know, she's probably your age, so she's good looking, skinny, she thinks that the world is her oyster. Nothing is going to happen until you start to see the wrinkles appearing, until you don't feel 100%. So in, my, in my history or opinion, somebody's got to feel the pain before they're going to take the leap. Right? We can talk about how good it is, but people mostly avoid pain, then chase pleasure. pleasure. So I don't know. You could try Tony Robbins. You could try to talk her about it. it's going to save is going to have much better skin for her for a very long time. That may resonate with women because they're uh, they do respond to a, a skin talk. Yeah, more than you and I. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how yeah, do you? I mean, interesting. Yeah, how do you, man? I didn't know you were overweight because since I've known you, you've been handsome, tall, good-looking, put together. Yeah. Um, when I was in middle school, I was about two hundred and forty pounds to two forty, two fifty. Uh, in eighth grade, my freshman year, that was at the end of my eighth grade year, my freshman year, I was 170. Um, and the only reason I changed is because uh, my whole goal, like all childhood, because Michael Jordan was my idol. In fact, I have two Michael Jordan posters that came from my, my childhood bedroom right here in my studio. And my entire room as a kid was decked out with Chicago Bulls gear. 
And uh, so I always wanted to go to the NBA. I was still big in basketball, even in middle school, even as an overweight kid, because I was always the tallest kid in my class. And um, my dad told me on the way to practice one day, he's driving me, he goes, listen, if you're 300 pounds, you're never going to make it to the NBA. And it really, that's what resonated with me because I, the only change I made to go from 250 to 170 in one summer where nobody even recognized me when I showed up to high school next year, uh, was I stopped drinking soda and I stopped eating junk food. And one of the major changes was like my parents would always take me to McDonald's or Burger King. And so rather than getting a burger and fries and a soda, I would get water and fries, no burger. And that was like the biggest change I made. And then when I was at home, I wasn't eating potato chips, no candy, no junk food. Whereas before I ate whatever I want um, because I didn't know better. And so just that alone, combined with me already playing basketball every day, I lost all that weight. Um, and ever since then, I haven't gained it back to that degree. Um, but I've gone through phases to where I, I still don't drink soda. I'm still hardcore against soda, um, just for me personally. But I, I'll eat junk food. I'll eat a lot of carbs for certain periods of my time uh, of my of of time, and I'll gain a little bit of like pudginess back. But I almost always course correct, you know. And so that's kind of how I came out of that. But um. That's, that's I, I great, can definitely man. be more healthy, you know, for sure. Yeah. Your dad found the leverage over you and you made the change. So part of it is also finding the leverage. Like where is, how can you influence somebody? What is their point of inflection? How can you double down on that to like tilt the fulcrum the other way? Uh, can we talk about hair loss? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> well, well, so I obviously have a full head of hair. So I haven't had to ever think about hair loss myself. My dad also had a full head of hair. He did have a receding hairline. But um, when I was in middle school, I knew a guy who would wear hats every day. And then when we got to high school, he was a few years older than me. He started balding. And I think for him, it was genetic. But he told me it was because he wore hats every day. And today I wear hats all the time, but it's always in the back of my head. So I don't know much about hair loss, but seems like you you seem to know a lot so so where do you want you want to start with this topic yeah let me tell you how i got into this right because anti-aging i was lot into longevity anti-aging and what i realized is within a few months i'd, I'd been losing my hair patrick for 18 years probably so it was a long time it was a slow decline and man it's, it's just hard on you hair loss is hard because all you want to do is keep the, when you're young, all you want to do is keep the hair you have. And every stage as you're losing hair, it feels like you're losing a part of your identity. It's just mm. falling out and there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's so painful. Um, so on the outside, I just wanted my hair loss to stop, but I couldn't figure it out. I tried all kinds of drugs and supplements and lotions and potions and hair oils, and nothing seemed to be really working. Like it would work a little bit, but not where I wanted it. I would still see the hair, hair loss. And then when I got into uh, an anti-aging, an anti I was like, nobody's going to trust an anti-aging coach that can't even fix his hair loss. Like, that's not even going to happen, right? Um, plus, so, so part of me was I wanted to fix my hair loss so I could be a better anti-aging coach. But internally, I was completely insecure about my life, about what, how I looked. I started using hair powders, which you just like sprinkle into your hair and they hide the thinning areas of your scalp. So it was incredibly painful. And I just was doubting my manhood. I was doubting my individuality. So 
my dating options, all of that were into play, man. It was very, very complex and very painful. And so the pain had built enough and I wasn't getting anywhere that I said, something's got to shift. I've got to make a massive move and find the answers. So I said, okay, I'm going to stop listening to all these YouTube gurus, to all these Facebook experts, to everybody selling me the supplement, the drug, the potion. I'm going to stop listening. I'm going to go follow the true experts, the top 1% of the world. And I'm going to beg them for their secrets. I'm going to sit down with them. So I literally quit everything. I flew around the world to go to hair conferences. I met the top doctors in the world and, and researchers and scientists. And then I flew individually to their cities. This took me a couple of months. I just had lots and lots of money because I had to fly to many, many different cities. And I sat down with them, interviewed them, talked to them, asked them all the same questions. How do I stop hair loss? How do I grow back hair? How do I stop hair loss? How do I grow back hair? What about this? What about that? So I learned in those few months that there's certain things you can do that will stop your hair loss for sure. And then you can go back in time three to five years with your hair. Okay. Three to five years. I was like, five years? I'll take it all day. And yeah. so I came back and I said, I'm going to be a maniac. I'm going to do everything they recommended. So I didn't tell anybody about it because I'm like, I don't even know if this works, right? This could be just hearsay. I tried it out. And within like two and a half to three months, I saw like little hair growing everywhere, front, top. And I was just like, whoa, this actually works. I couldn't believe it. So I was jumping up and down. And I was looking at the mirror and smiling for the first time in probably five to seven years, like for no reason. I'm just like looking in the mirror and smiling. Um, and so I was like, oh man, I'm onto something. And so I said, okay, I don't know if this is real yet. So I enrolled a few of my friends. One of them is an ASU boy, uh, lives in Vegas now. So I enrolled a few of them like, hey, I'm going to try this for you. I'm going to coach you all for free. Let's see if this works. And so I coached a few men and they all had unbelievable results. And they were just like, dude, I didn't even think this was possible. I was wondering if I should go get a hair transplant, but I can go more of my hair back myself. This is unreal. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm helping men for now, helping men stop hair loss and grow back their hair. So it's, it's very rewarding. And it it's, feels great to see men getting results. Interesting. Um, so I'm curious to know like some of what you've found. Um, one of the solutions that I've seen, uh, do you know who Craig Ballantyne is? Yes. Uh, I saw he recently got like a hair follicle transplant on his receding hairline. Is that something that you recommend? Does that even work? It does work. It does work. And I wish, man, I saw his post. I wish I had gotten a hold of him before he did that. Yeah. Because that could have helped him as well. But um, I have a three-step process to okay. get back to hair, right? Step one is you've got to stop your hair loss. You've got, this is non-negotiable because if it keeps, if you keep losing hair, you're going to go bald eventually. It's like you're in a boat on the ocean or a lake and you're having a good time. The drinks are flowing and you notice that the boat's leaking. Well, you can't go fast or have a good time for very long if the boat's leaking. You've got to fix the leak. So step one is here's the proven ways to stop your hair loss. And I've compiled all of those proven ways into an ebook that I can give out to folks that want to come check out the website. Yeah. Free ebook. What's the website? Shout it out. Yeah. So it's live lumen, live minus the E L I V L U M E N.com. Okay. You go there, you can download the free ebook that's got all the ways to stop your hair loss. And step two is now that you've controlled or stopped your hair loss, you want to grow back hair as much as possible. And after interviewing a lot of experts and reading through studies, I'm, I'm certain we can go back three to five years in time. 
So you can look like you were five years ago, right? Because the follicle isn't completely dead. If it's not completely dead, we can bring it back. If it's dead and gone, if you're bald, yeah. there's nothing I can do for you, right? Yeah. But if the follicle's alive, even though it's microscopic, we can bring it back. And so there's four to five techniques that we combine together into an aggressive hair growth plan for three to four months that you use these and they're all proven by scientific studies and are used by the experts. So these work in tandem and they start to, each of these grows back 10 to 20% of your hair. So the combined effect is way more. So you get this bloom effect for three to four months and then we can continue that a little bit, little bit longer or we can put you on a maintenance plan, which is much simpler than the growth plan. Okay, so that's all part of step two is growing it back. And then step three is if you still want more, if you're like, well, this was great, but I'm still conscious about this you know, bald spot that I've had for seven years or whatever, yeah. then you can go get a selective hair transplant that is much simpler than if you would have gone to get a hair transplant beforehand because you'd need a lot more hair. And two, you'd still continue to lose the hair that you uh, around the transplant. So that's the three-step process. And it really helps. And guys finally understand that, oh, this is what's happening. Because in the past, they're like, oh, the market, some marketer tells them, buy the shampoo. So they buy the shampoo. And guess what? Like the one shampoo doesn't do anything because it sits on your scalp for two minutes, right? Or some marketer tells the guy that, hey, go get Rogaine or Minoxidil and put it on your scalp. You have to put that on your scalp two times a day, every day for the rest of your life. How many men that you and I know are going to keep up with that? Not many. In fact, scientific studies have shown that most men give up on Rogaine within a year and it doesn't work on 50 to 80% of men because wow. of various reasons, which we can get into a bit later. Got it. So Rogaine, is that the powder that you sprinkle on your hair? No. So Rogaine is the foam, man. It's so glad to see that you don't even know these yeah. things because you don't suffer from this problem <laughs> that we, the rest of us do. But Rogaine is the foam that you put on your scalp. Uh, there's a new formula called minoxidil, which is like a liquid with a dropper you can put on your scalp. And it's basically, it, it's a vasodilator. So it brings more blood to your hair follicles. And what that does, it brings oxygen, it brings nutrients. So it holds your hair, it doesn't let them fall. It doesn't necessarily grow more hair, but it holds your hair in the hair growth phase instead mm -hmm. of shutting it down. So that's the plus. The downside is if you stop using it for a few days, all of the hair that was holding up is all gonna fall out suddenly. So you're gonna have a massive shedding if you get lazy for just a few days. So that's the downside of it. Wow, and that's Rogaine. That's Rogaine, yeah. And that's one of the two drugs that is touted as the, oh, the FDA approved drug for, yeah. for hair loss. It's not a sustainable solution in my opinion, not at all. I didn't realize until you said it, because obviously the way we met was kind of through the dating avenue. Um, and you and I were both pretty heavily into the dating scene, right? And so I didn't realize how much of a, an effect on someone's confidence it has. And even I, I had a boot camp recently, and it's different than the traditional boot camp that you might know of. My boot camp, I had 30 guys there, and it was more just like, it was kind of like a workshop, right? And so I brought in girls, and we practiced banter in that controlled environment rather than trying to scope the town and looking for chicks to practice on. And so at the boot camp, I had one of my longtime clients. I'd finally met him in person because usually we're talking over Skype or over the phone. And I noticed he had thinning hair. It was going bald. And this is a guy who naturally has low confidence in himself because of his lack of experience with women. And I encouraged him. I was like, yo, 
I don't think this thin hair that's frizzing out is doing you any favors. In fact, at this point, I would recommend you just start shaving it. And he was not at all having it. And so now it can make sense because you said when you lose a little bit of hair, you feel like you lost a piece of yourself, which is ironic because um, the guy who's editing, going to be editing this podcast, he's actually fully bald. And um, so he'll definitely resonate with this conversation. Um, so I guess my, I have a couple questions with hair loss. Is it genetic or is it a symptom of something that's not going correctly, AKA not enough blood flow to the scalp? And on that same line of thinking, just like CRISPR is able to cure some genetically related blindness or diseases, could CRISPR eventually cure hair loss if it's genetic? Great questions, man. Great question. So let me answer the, the way we understand hair loss. We don't actually know 100% certainty what the reasons are, pathologies behind hair loss. What we know right now is there's different types of hair loss. The most common that men have is called male pattern baldness, which happens right up in the front, top crown, front, and temples, right? That is the most common hair loss. There's more types which we can get into in a second. But that is caused by two things, genetics and hormones. So genetics is uh, there's too many receptors for androgens or the male hormones, okay, in your scalp. That's the genetics piece is you have an overabundance of receptors in your scalp. Uh, the other piece, the androgens, is testosterone gets converted to DHT, which is a metabolite of testosterone, dihydrotestosterone. DHT goes in your scalp and it finds willing receptors, lots of receptors, which is genetic. And so it says, oh, let me go enter your receptors. And it starts blocking the growth of your hair. So it miniaturizes your hair over months, over years. And so what happens is, your hair cycle, your hair grows for two to six years, then it rests for three months because it falls out, rests for three months and grows back again. It should go on forever, technically. But when DHT and these receptors are shrinking the follicle, shrinking, 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 so they start miniaturizing it, the thick hair becomes thinner, 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 then it becomes microscopic. To you, it's gone. It's still there. It's fighting, but you're not helping it, right? It's, it's going. And after a while, it's going to get even thinner and shut down. That's what we understand is what's happening. Now, there's a lot of talk about what are the reasons. I think we know more about what happens together with hair, with hair loss, more so than what causes it. So the point you made about oxygen, it's a very good point. Ox, low oxygen is found in balding areas. So can we then surmise that low oxygen causes hair loss, or does it happen at the same time as hair loss? We don't know for sure, but we do know that low oxygen is found in areas of hair thinning. Number two, there's lesser fat layer, subcutaneous fat layer in areas of hair loss. Well, is lesser fat causing your hair loss because there's not enough of a nutrient dense supply? There's not enough of the matrix in there? And that's where the hair follicle lives, correct? Yeah, yeah. What they found is uh, the average thickness, for example, in your hair would be nine millimeters of fat, right? A balding guy, it would be two millimeters of mm -hmm. fat on the whole scalp. So fat has to do with, there are some people doing fat injections to start to grow back more hair. Does so, it work, the fat injections? It's, it's working, but it's, it's very expensive and you have to keep doing it over and over. But it does work. It, does, it, it can help. It has positive results. It's not going to grow back all your hair, mm. but it has shown positive results in some studies. One, I mean, when you said, mentioned that, uh, one thing that came, came up for me 
was does the low fat in the subcutaneous portion of your the epidermis uh does it happen as a result of the hair follicle losing function kind of like one of those situations if you don't use it you lose it or is the hair loss a result of the loss of fat in your subcutaneous region that is an open question my friend same same as you just talked about so uh, oxygen low oxygen hypoxia and fat layer we don't know if they cause if they're causative to hair loss or they happen simultaneously because causation does not equal correlation right and so there are still people way smarter than me are researching this to no end, right? But we do know that there are certain ways you can, certain actions you can take to stop hair loss. There are certain actions you can take to grow back hair. And what I'm focused on, I'm like, what's working as a biohacker? What's working? What can I put together into an aggressive hair growth protocol that thickens up your hair, gives you a much longer lease on life? Even the hair that have been miniaturized, but you can't even see, we bring them back. Right? They become thicker, they become more active. So now you've basically extended the life of your hair many, many years mm-hmm. uh, and brought back what you can't see. So you have thicker, fuller heads of hair. The underlying pathologies and, and how to fix it all is something I hope we can get to in the near future. There's many biotechnology companies working on different pathways in the body and the hair. Mm. There's a, you know, regenerative approaches you can take. Like you can do stem cells, you can do PRP, you can do exosomes to start to get some of the growth factors back, to beat back the suppressive effects of testosterone in your hair and to grow, like growth factors could grow back the fat layer, could bring more oxygen, nutrients in. So therefore you're negating some of the things that are trying to harm your hair. But I will say this, your hair is a mini organ. So when you're losing hair, it's symptomatic of not everything is right in your body. So if you can, the sooner you can get to fix your hair loss, the better your overall health is going to be. And is that in every case or in a lot of cases? Like sometimes is it just purely genetic that you're gonna you're bound to lose your hair? Yeah, so again, the genetics is is the overabundance of those receptors. Mm. But there's also theories that that say that because of various reasons, one being there's tension, men always lose hair over here. And yeah. people are wondering why is it that the pattern, right? And some people are saying it's because of tension. There's a lot of tension we hold in the scalp. Yeah. And that when they've done, done 3D models of tension, they're like, oh, it's the strongest over here and here and here. So that's why maybe that's causing it. But they go a step further and say this tension is causing an inflammation. We know inflammation directly is linked to hair loss. That's been proven. And so maybe the tension is increasing the inflammation. But what the genetics piece of is, is that there's a lot of receptors sitting there. And so when when testosterone or DHT is like circulating and it says, oh, there's like a lock and key, right? The key sitting there, you're like lock, 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 lock. So it's definitely a genetic component, mm. but there's ways to block it. Got it. <clears throat> That's interesting about the tension. I had that realization literally like two days ago, I was sitting on the toilet going through Instagram and I was watching Instagram stories and one dude, he said, just take a depth, deep breath, and relax all the muscles in your head and face and body and just sit here in silence for the next 10 seconds. And I did that. And the one thing I noticed is when I relaxed all the tension in my body, my head relaxed more than any other part of my body. And I was like, yo, I did not realize I was constricting that many muscles in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So I can and neck. that. And neck, like the back of the neck is an incredibly tense area for men. 
And that's, that's what holds your scalp together. Because this, this is not a muscle, it's just a layer of skin. This is a muscle, sides are a muscle, and the like lower back, like uh, above the neck, that's a muscle. And so it's like pulling on the skin and the muscles actually control the, the forces. So if you can relax this muscle, side muscles and, and just the neck muscles, it helps. There is a hair researcher by the name of Rob English that's done some very good research on- Rob tension. English is also ironically the name of the guy who's editing this podcast right now who also has a bald head. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very interesting. So yeah, there's a lot of theories, but no definitive causative action of this is what absolutely causes hair loss. We know of the factors that can negate it. We know of the factors that can grow back hair, you know, three to five years. And there's ways to just kind of get into a maintenance routine. After you grow back hair, what I recommend is stop your hair loss, grow back your hair, and then get into a maintenance routine where you don't lose anymore, mm. right? And then you can decide if you want to even add on a hair transplant. In your instance, the guy that, that just, just feeling down, and if even five years is, is not enough for him, then he can go get a selective transplant. But he doesn't have to start with the, that as the first resort. So when you say stop the hair loss, stop the hair loss, get on a plan, maintain, and then maintain. Are you saying that you're not necessarily going to bring back more hair, but you're going to stop it altogether? Or can you, do you actually bring back hair? We bring back. So step one is when you stop your hair loss, we just want to not cause any more hair loss, right? So let's, let's stay where we are. Then step two is let's grow back as much hair as possible for you, for your biology, right? Because a lot of it depends on your body to do the work. So we combine four to six techniques that are proven by scientific studies to grow back hair, to bring back the hair that are super miniaturized. So we'll do that for three to six months. And then you're, when you're feeling good, you're like, oh my goodness, this is good. I feel this is enough. I've gotten 20, 30, 40% more hair growing. Then you can say, okay, now I don't want to do this, this aggressive routine anymore. And this aggressive routine only takes about two to five minutes of your daily routine. It's like brushing your teeth, by the way. Then you can say, I just want to take a couple of supplements or I want to do less, maybe like 30 seconds to a minute per day to just maintain. And that's also possible. Got it. Um, one thing that kind of came up for me when we started talking about the hair loss situation was uh, um, uh, a guy who I recently interviewed on my podcast, his name is Mo Bassi. He's a dating coach as well. And he was vegan. So I met up with him uh, about a year ago at a Jason Capital event, ironically. And, um, and we went out to dinner and we went out to a vegan restaurant because he was vegan. I'm not vegan, never been vegan, don't even have the interest to go vegan. But I went and I'm, I'll be honest, the food wasn't bad. Uh, but I asked him on the podcast, hey, are you still vegan? And he said no. And he told me a lot of it had to do with um, he started noticing things like his hair started to get thin and he had no idea why. And apparently for him, he realized that because he was not eating any meat, he was getting lack of protein. Um, he was not getting the right amount of testosterone because testosterone is built because he said when he got a blood test, his cholesterol level was virtually zero and his doctor was shocked and cholesterol is a key component to testosterone and also estrogen, but mainly testosterone. Right. And so for him that led directly to the hair loss. And he said, when he stopped going vegan, he was vegan for like four years. And he said, it ended because he started um, having uh, dreams, very vivid dreams of him spear fishing and eating the fish like caveman style. 
And I was like, yo, and he thought it was his subconscious talking to him. So he went and he got some fish, started eating uh, lighter meats to start. And he said, instantly started feeling better, having more energy, having less brain fog and his hair stopped thinning and it came back and he out, now he has a full head of hair. Um, have you ever heard any similar experiences of veganism? Absolutely. And, and it's interesting you bring it up. I actually have heard of Mo Abbasi, so good guy from what I know. Um, being vegan sets you up for nutritional deficiencies. So we talked about male pattern hair loss, which happens in a very specific pattern. Then there's reasons for diffuse hair loss that happens everywhere. And this is not related to, uh, you know, uh, this is not from your parents. It's not genetic. Right? This is just because of conditions in your life. Epigenetics. And food or going vegan is a condition in your life. And it, it sets you up for nutri nutrient deficiencies in two out of the four main reasons people lose hair because of nutrients. The four are vitamin D, iron, B12, folate, and zinc. And being vegan sets you up for two of those, lack of iron, okay? And two is uh, B12 and folate. So you've gotta get the B vitamins, which being vegan doesn't help you with. Uh, and so when, vegan, when people go vegan, I tell them to supplement the B vitamins because you're just shortage on that. Uh, the reason iron's important, iron's found in all meats, heme iron, the reason iron's important is because hemoglobin is the, is the nutrient, the molecule in meats that carries your oxygen. So you need oxygen to go to your brain. So I bet he was suffering from both iron deficiency and from B12 and folate deficiency. And once he got the meats back into his life, he was like, oh, no more deficiency. And I also would probably surmise that his hair loss was happening everywhere. It was just hair thinning, not just like male pattern hair loss. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I didn't even know the different patterns of hair loss. So uh, if I had known that, I would have asked some more specific details. But honestly, like between starting this podcast, I've had two conversations in the last couple of weeks about hair loss, whereas before I never talk about hair loss. So it's really interesting to, to, for me to hear about this kind of stuff. Um, so what else can a, can a guy do uh, if he's experiencing hair loss or I don't know, what, what else is there to even talk about this topic, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's... Man, we could go on and on, and I, I want to make sure I don't confuse the, the listeners too much, but uh, if they want to get the guide to stop their hair loss, uh, go to livelumen, L-I-V-L-U-M-E-N.com, and in there, you will learn, I will send you a couple emails, you will learn, you'll get quizzes to like, okay, what type of hair loss do I have, okay? Yeah. Then you'll get a quiz on what are the reasons why you might lose diffuse hair loss, so Thyroid's one of those reasons, not having enough vitamin D or sunlight's one reason. Nutrient deficiencies like B12 and zinc are another reason. Too much stress is another reason. There's medications that can cause it. So all of that is in this quiz that you get for free. And you can be like, oh, I have these one or two types of hair loss and what might be the reasons? You take the quiz and in two minutes, you'll know what deficiencies you might have. So you can start to fix those or work on those. And there is an answer on how you start to work on that, right? Uh, on how to fix your B12 deficiencies, what supplements you can take, how to fix vitamin D or zinc, or how to fix your stress with uh, different modalities. Interesting. So let's kind of shift gears here. Um, going back, because now I, it's interesting. How did you hear about Mo Bassi? Uh, that's interesting that you also knew about him. But also, let's kind of talk about how we met, because um, we I met Mo the same way I met you. Yeah, absolutely. I believe I met you in the 2017, December of 2017, 
okay. in Newport Beach or Costa Mesa, where yeah. Jason Capital was having an event. And, you know, Jason Capital's a G, man. Lots of respect to him. He's just, oh, yeah. a, just a great guy. And I remember meeting you, I think it was in between one of the sessions, and we just started talking randomly. And I'm like, huh, Patrick's very well-spoken. I wonder what he does. So I think I asked you what you do, and you, you told me. And I was like, oh, very cool. That's why you have a very polished personality, because you've got to work. You've had to work on yourself. You've got to get rid of the rough edges. As we go through transformation as men, we've been on a similar path. You've got to get rid of a lot of baggage of self-limiting beliefs. And I saw you, and I was like, He's got this figured out and uh, I want to, I want to get to know this guy more. Awesome. Yeah. And I told you I was a dating coach and then we talked about kind of, yeah, I think you just, from what I remember you described, what would you say to in a situation like this? And I just told you, oh, I said this to a girl like about that last night. I think after that, we kind of just hit it off. And, uh, and then a co couple of months later, I'm back in LA and you're like, Hey, come through my place. Uh, is, here's the address. It's in Beverly Hills and we're at a pregame. And literally, uh, it's your your place in Beverly Hills, and we go there, and, or I go there, and I don't know much about Beverly Hills, and I assume maybe it's like Scottsdale, maybe Scottsdale has like some lower community houses and a lot of mansions, right? So I didn't know what to expect when I was going in an Uber to your place, but this is like a legit ass condo in Beverly Hills, and um, and even your roommates were all crushing it. You guys are all seemed pretty young, well, my age. I was like. 26 27 at the time but i didn't even know you're close to your 40s um uh and then after that you're like dude you gotta come back i'm moving to the hollywood hills we're getting a house up here so i don't think i've ever asked you this but what did you do before you were a, a, a hair loss and an anti-aging coach to afford that kind of lifestyle but even so like you were very connected because when we went out to the clubs we went to like the most popping club in beverly hills and we walked past the line, went up to the security guard, you dapped him up, we get up to the place, no problem. And I'm like, yo, who is Faraz? <laughs> it's a great question, man. So uh, in, during that time, so I have a technology background and I was, I was doing technology for this firm in Denver, which was cool, but you build something new and then you got to maintain it, which is kind of getting a little boring. And I got an opportunity to do consulting. And what I loved about consulting is you go into new companies and you help them with their best projects, with their newest projects. So you work on something really cool. You build relationships. It's a lot of personal connection. As you know, you got to like sell yourself and you got to sell the client, do the work, do great work. And then you go off to the next thing. And so I started going to all these companies and I started loving it. And I'm, I'm a people person. So it was pretty cool for me to meet all these new people. Um, and so that's what I was doing. I was doing management consulting for firms like Warner Bros and AT&T and Amgen Pharmaceuticals. And so I was getting to see how high level businesses were being done. And so that's how I could afford the lifestyle that I was living and moving up to Hollywood Hills and going out and then coming back to connections, man, like you do this very well as well, Patrick, it's about social dynamics, right? It's about how do you add value to people before you ask of them? And so how do you build relationships? How do you ask about their family and their life and remember their name? I had a period of my life for one year where I was writing down every doorman's name into my phone wow. under, under the name of the, the avenue, right? So before we would pull up in an Uber, I'd open up my phone and say, okay, it's David and Patrick, right? Or these, these two guys that work here. And so I go up and they didn't know me from Adam. I'd be like, Hey David, how are you doing? And he goes, 
who's this guy? And he's like, ah, I guess maybe I, I, I know him. And then like the first two or three times you give him, you shake his hand and you give him a little bit of money, appreciation. And you ask him more questions. You build a relationship. And after the third time, they're hugging you, man. They're hugging you every time. And so you never have to stand in lines. You never do stuff. You just go right through. So that was my strong suit, I guess. You know, out of even all my friends, I was the guy that was getting everybody in. And I'm like, you live here with me. You go to all these places with me. Why aren't you shaking his hand and asking his name? Like, they're just like following me. And I'm like, guys, come on. So I realized that was a superpower of mine. And uh, I could harness that in ways where I went off into my own business. And then when I got really excited about anti-aging, I said, well, it's going to be a solo journey and it's going to be tough, but I have some superpowers, things I've learned. And I think I'll do okay. And I've got a little bit of a, a security net where, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to work immediately. Yeah. So those were the reasons that I bet on myself as Jason Kaplan will say, yeah. and uh, took the chance and it is you've done as well. Yeah, definitely, man. So would you say right now you're, so did you basically just drop everything you were doing then? So you're not doing the consulting. Uh, are you still even roommates with those same guys? We were, and then things just got a little too busy. You know, when I was pivoting, I went to a couple of Tony conferences, uh, Tony Robbins conferences, and man, he just lit me up. Like he set me on fire and I was like, I have to do this right now. I have to burn the boats if I'm going to succeed. Yeah. And so when I did burn the boats and I was considering uh, leaving the firm for a while, taking a break, um, I decided that I was going to go all in. And that meant that I was going to partake less in some of the lifestyle that I was used to. And unfortunately, that meant that some of my friends were not on the same page and they were like, well, but we have this going. This is, very, this is going very well. Um, so I just had to take a step back and move out of the environment where I could control what time I went to bed and who woke me up, right? So yeah. uh, as I'm sure you've seen, it, it, you've got to make a little bit of a personal sacrifice to go in a new direction. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people, especially people who follow Jason Capital, because um, I never, uh, I, I guess I've, I've noticed that uh, at, at least at that time, the people who follow Jason Capital, some of them were into entrepreneurship and business. Most of them were just trying to improve their dating lives. And his whole thing was building your social circle. And I'll be honest, man, I've met a lot of people in my six years since I've moved to Arizona, since I got out of my bubble of Kansas. I've been in the game a little bit longer than that. But um, since I moved here, I don't think I've ever met anybody who truly lived it the way that you did. And I only experienced it one night with you because I was there. I didn't even stay there that night because I, had, I, had, I was only in town for a conference, like a, a dating advice. It wasn't even dating. It was more like um, personal development, spiritual energy thing, which I struggle with. And my buddy, Adam, who's another dating coach, Adam Galad. Do you know Adam Galad? I no. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know him, but I I know of him. Yeah. He was doing a little like, uh, I don't want to butcher this, but it seemed like kind of like a meditative energy kind of couples workshop that he invited me to up there. So I went and attended, got a lot out of it. It was definitely outside of my comfort zone to go to something like that, but I had to leave. I had to be there the next morning. So I left your place early, but I was there until probably like four in the morning and the whole night you got new guys coming in trying to do parties and like party more and keep the party going. You got random girls walking into your place and even your roommate, like you go down there and we don't want to talk about what was going on down in his room. But, 
But I was like, yo, I see a lot of people, especially people who follow Jason Capital, who try to front like they live that lifestyle, but truly don't. And I have no idea how to. And then I meet a guy like you, super, and, and oh, by the way, these guys are like super status, super like, I got to appear to be above you. Whereas you're the guy who's actually living that lifestyle and you're one of the most personal pe personable people I've met. Um, so it's really interesting to see the dynamic, the difference there. Thanks, man. It's, I think it's just the way I was raised. Plus, I'd been always worried about being found out by my family, you know, because there's, there's shame involved of what are you doing? Why are you up so late? Like, what's going on? So it was part of like the low key life, but have your fun, but don't be like shouting off from the rooftops on it. Right. There, there were some instances where I think I was on Instagram and stuff, but for the most part, I was not trying to like to be too boastful. Um, and I wasn't selling anything related to what I was doing either. It was just for my own personal good. And I'm glad you were able to come down, man. It was a really good night. I remember, I know that at three 30 AM, like the three of us went into a bathroom to strategize. We're like, Patrick, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. He's going to do this. Yeah. And we were all making plans that, to, to like, you know, tackle the night and, and have more of a good time. So I do remember that quite vividly, actually. Yeah, it was interesting because we were like, it felt like we were in a huddle, like on a football field and we were strategizing. All right, you're going to go talk to this girl. You're going to go talk to this girl. And then my plan kind of fell apart because the girl that I had brought back to your place ended up dipping out because I was in the bathroom with you guys. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It was funny. It was definitely an experience I'll remember for the rest of my life, for sure. Um, and I, I don't know, man, I hope we get to party again soon when all this fucking craziness ends. I hope so, man. Just, I hope I see you this year, maybe later on. Yeah. I How long have we been going already? I don't even have a watch. Oh, two years, two hours. Holy I got to jump off soon. Yeah, that flew by. We can end it here. But dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love having these intellectual conversations that I don't even get to have every day. So I definitely felt cool having that with you. Um, and, I, and definitely, guys, if you're listening to this, go check out his website. He's a cool ass dude on top of being someone who's clearly an expert at what he does. Um, but anyways, guys, uh, thank you for us for coming on and we'll see you next time. Patrick, thank you so much, man. This has been a pleasure. I love talking to you and I hope I get to see you very, very soon, my friend.